Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of the EDH RETCAST. I'm your host today. I'm Matt Morgan. And joining me, it's my co-host. He asked me what the ninth letter of the alphabet was, and I took a complete guess, but it turns out I was right. It's Dana Roach. <laughs> That's pretty good. It took me a second. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I had to work it into our intros, so I just wanted to softball nice. you one. I'm distracted a little bit tonight. Um, I got into a bit of an altercation with my neighbor. Um, he's blaming my stupid driveway for making him fall down. But I think it was his dumb asphalt. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, living with neighbors, I get it. It's always easy to blame your neighbors. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully you have some concrete evidence that it wasn't yeah. your fault. <laughs> there we go. That's That, that was a forced, forced one, but... <laughs> That's what we do, those, isn't it? Those are the best ones sometimes. That is the best one. Anyways, Dana, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, we don't have Joy today, but that doesn't mean we're going to take a week off. So what are we talking about today? We don't. Um, we're, so we're just going to talk about Wilds of Eldraine and some cards that caught our eye and we thought were interesting and that were worth digging into a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot going on in this set, kind of par for the course. So let's just get right into it. But first, before we get into Wilds of Eldraine, let's just do some some plugs real quick first. Yeah, first I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for helping in editing the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking this video on YouTube, subscribing on YouTube, or subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord community for just $2 a month, there's that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the weekly patron shoutout. So this week, Adam Pritchard, thank you so much for joining. We appreciate the support. I don't have any good puns. I'm sorry. Um, I, something with Adam. Apple. I don't know. I, Dana, anything? Please. Yeah, I don't either. We, we've without Joey here, we're apparently stumped. We're, we're no good without Joey, apparently. <laughs> but that's fine. I, that doesn't mean we don't appreciate Adam's support. So thank you so much, Adam. Yes, thank you very much. We do appreciate it. But with that, Dana, why don't we just hop into it? So we're back to in Eldrain. We have yes. a whole bunch of new cards. We have new pre-constructed decks. There's a lot going on in Wilds of Eldrain. There's only, and I say this very loosely, only 25 Legends, which is still a huge number. Right, yeah. It just seems like a little bit less because we've been getting sets with like 40 or 50. It does. So, I mean, right off the bat, were there any Legends that seemed interesting to you? I know you're not going to build them because they're too new, <laughs> but... Did anything at least catch your eye and think, oh, that like that kind of has a cool build path or or just get your mind going at least? First thing that kind of jumped out at me um, was Hilda of the, of the Icy Crown. Um, two white blue for a human warlock. Uh, she's a 3-4. It has a couple different abilities, but they're all triggered off of you tapping an untapped creature and opponent controls. When you do that, you can pay one and you can either create a 4-4 white and blue elemental you can put a plus one counter on each creature you control, not just one creature, and you can scry to then draw a card. Um, that's got just everything you need on one card. There's a ton of card draw on there, and drawing, scrying two to draw a card is actually very, very good. Yeah. Um, putting a counter on every creature you control is very, very good. Making a 4-4 four, four is very, very good. All of those things are very, very useful. It's, it's the kind of deck that's going to be running cards that you don't see very often because you're going to want to go pretty deep on the tapping synergies in ways that, you know, you might run a couple of those effects, but you're not going to be running 20 of them like you will in this deck. No. So while I'm not going to build it, I, I do kind of like things like this that are kind of an unexplored space a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, finally I have a chance to play Retreat to Coral Helm. I'm probably not going to build this deck, but like, yeah. there's a ton. I feel like this is going to be a very cheap deck if you take out stuff that players are playing. I mean, Smothering Tithe, yes. Anointed Procession, sure. There's a lot of expensive cards in there, but for a majority of the deck, it looks like it's a bunch of just 50 cent commons and uncommons with some control aspects kind of built in. Yeah, um, it's. It, I think it's going to be kind of a, a, a rough deck to play against too. Um, it, it, you know, it's, when you're looking at a deck that's built around doing control stuff, that can, you know, if you're not ready for it, that can be a difficult thing to fight through. But um, I like the command. I think it's going to make, make an interesting deck. The other thing that jumps out at me from all of these legends, um, we've had you know blue black fairy commanders before. Una Queen of the Fae being the the kind of probably the most famous. Um, but Uni is maybe more of a combo commander even than a fairy commander, despite the fact that she makes fairies. And six mana is a lot as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's play very playable, but like I, I think that's always kind of made people shy away. It, we've got uh, like literally a half dozen new options for legendary <laughs> blue black fairy commanders. Um, and, and while there's not massive differences between them necessarily, it, they let you kind of build the deck the way you want to build it. Um, you know, Talion, the kindly Lord, um, is probably the one that's going to get built the most. It's the one that's getting built the most right now. Um, it's a three, four with flying. And when it ETBs, you choose a number between one and 10. And whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value, power or toughness equal to that chosen number, that player loses two life and you draw a card. So that's just really good passive value there on a four mana, four mana commander. Um, but there's, Plenty of other options if you don't want to build Talion too. I, I do think that's kind of nice that that you could build a fairy deck right now in blue black, and have literally half a dozen different choices that kind of customize best to what you want to do versus you know being stuck with one or two options. Yeah, well, you have the new Alila Cunning Conqueror, which is mm -hmm. another fairy type old commander that you can play. Uh, Tegwell, Duke of Splendor. You got two, well, three options, I guess, with the ones that you were just talking about that are all going to be legendary fairies that you can play something. You have a lot of new options. You have some good classic options out there. Mm -hmm. You really, it's kind of funny seeing how all of a sudden we. It seems like every set there's two or three different creature types that all of a sudden they're getting yeah. two new commanders or three new commanders. And they're just kind of working their way through all of them that kind of fit flavor-wise with whatever the set is. Mm -hmm. So it is cool to see fairies kind of get another opportunity to shine because I don't remember at least anything good coming out of the last time we were in Eldraine. The original Alila maybe kind of sort of, but it wasn't really rewarding you. It was kind of, you're making fairies, yes, but you had to do non-fairy things to get them. Yeah, this set really is leaning into it in a way I think the previous set didn't. And I think people were kind of expecting it to. And and so, I mean, they're giving people maybe what they wanted this time. Um, and that's, you know, usually winds up um, getting people brewed a ton, a ton of decks. So I, I bet we're going to see a bunch of different blue-black fairy decks as a result of this, for sure. There's also some interesting takes, too. Uh, Kellen the Fey-Blooded, that one it's the Boros legend that cares about having auras and equipments, but for the first time, it, f it feels like you want a bunch of auras on Kellen, but you want a whole army too. And normally it's been, okay, we're playing Boros equipment. Right. We're going all in on one creature, but Kellen is doing it a little bit differently. So uh, Kellen is a 2-2, two, two, uh, it's 2 and a red, and it has a adventure side to it. So it's a uh, 1 and a white for the adventure side. So you can search your library for an aura or equipment, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle. So it's a tutor. And then Kellen, when it's on the 
battlefield as a creature is a 2-2 with double strike. Other creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0 for each aura and equipment attached to Kellen the Fey-Blooded. And it's such a cool little take. I don't know if it's going to be terribly popular. It's it's kind of middle of the pack, it seems, right now as far as most built commanders from the set. But it is interesting to see that normally it's either, you know, you're playing a Boros go-wide strategy and you're just doing everything you can to go wide, or it's going all in on one creature with the, the Voltron strategy. So it, I'm interested to see how this turns out because it does have a lot of cool things going on for it, but also it might be a deck that it gets too divided on what it's trying to do and you're not able to do both things well at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I think it's going to let you maybe lean into one or the other when you brew it, but we've gotten a gazillion Boros equipment commanders, for example, over the years, mm-hmm. and... The problem is always, you know, if someone shuts down whatever you're Voltroning up, then that kind of folds. Whereas this is a case where you're kind of, you can go wide at the same time as you suit something up. I wonder if Kellen's just not going to wind up being the best option um, and kind of invalidate a bunch of those other commanders. Um, I haven't, like, spent enough time looking at it really to know if that's going to be the case. But double strike baked in and buffing all of your other creatures is really, really effective along with a tutor on it as well. Um, so I'll be curious to see if this doesn't like long-term wind up eclipsing a lot of the other Boros equipment options we see. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I like the the difference too. So we had Will and Rowan. Last time we were in Eldraine, they were Planeswalkers together. Now they're legendary creatures and they're kind of doing a cool... Uh, spell cost reduction type of mechanic. So uh, Rowan is now red and a black and Will is now blue white. Um, and they both have an ability where you can tap them and then spells that are the color of the commander's color identity cost X less to cast where X is the amount of either life you've lost this turn or life you've gained this turn. So it's kind of an interesting take uh, doing kind of two sides of the same coin, if you will. I'm curious what these decks are going to look like too, because I mean, I'm assuming the blue-white one, it's going to have some big, big mana spells like Expropriate, but I, I'm more curious, what are people going to be cranking out with Rowan, which is the Rakdos colored one, that are just these big spells that you want to cost, or excuse me, cast for less than they should be costing? I think there's a lot of combo stuff that works with that Rowan deck as well, which is what I've been seeing everyone brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to abuse that that spell reduction in that deck in, in a handful of different ways. Yeah. So I'm going to guess we're going to see that kind of be the the, the com- commander that gets maybe played the most out of this set because it's just got such a clear victory condition right there in the command zone you play that there's a bunch of different ways Mm -hmm. to combo out and you're in colors that make it really easy to tutor up those combos yeah i'm sure x spells are going to be very very common you look at the top played cards so far in the deck uh crackle with power exsanguinate but yes there are some cool opportunities but i i i'm just i guess i'm hoping that what you said dana it's just a, a combo win condition in the command zone. I hope that players get a little bit away from that, but also we've hoped for that type of thing before, so we'll see if that actually happens. We also got a handful of like meme commanders too, whether it's Sir Ginger, the Meal Ender, or the Goose Mother mm-hmm. that people will build just because they're kind of funny and, and silly. And I always like seeing a mix of those in as well. Um, and it generally feels like this is a set where they were very intentional with what they designed like this this is the commander for this you know this is the rat commander yes. this is the commander that's doing that so 
I always like that. I, I would much rather have, you know, 25 focused legends than I would 50 that feel like half of them don't really have a home anyway. So um, I think that there's a nice balance here. And, you know, I think the I like Eldraine in general as a plane too. So maybe I'm predispositioned to, to appreciate that. But um, yeah, I'm a, I, I will probably one day wind up building something from from among these commanders, but um, right now I don't know what that will be. Yeah, I, I'm not super jazzed to build anything from this set. I'm I'm honestly still coming down from the high that was Lord of the Rings for sure. <laughs> personally, yeah. I, but I haven't shut up about that set for months. So nobody is surprised to hear me say that. But there are a few things that kind of like, oh, well, that looks cool. Maybe I'll, I'll spend some time working on it, but nothing obviously yet that has been like, oh my gosh, I got to build this quite yet. Right. Um, there were a couple cool kind of pre-cons. I mean, Selesnya humans, right up my alley, but both of those kind of focus a little bit on the enchantment ends of things. And I just, Enchantress isn't a strategy that I'm, yeah. I'm really super jazzed to build. I Plus I have a Tom Bombadil deck and that's kind of my enchantment deck. So my boxes are already checked there or any of the pre-con decks, any of the pre-con commanders, I should say. Any of them jump out at you, Dana? Nothing necessarily that I, I'm super, I mean, like there's a couple more of the fairy ones in here that are mixed in. Um, but no, I, I like Bernard Ginger Sculptor um, is the the band commander. Um, each creature you control that's a food or a golem gets plus two plus two and has trample. And whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you can exile it. And if you do make a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a food golem artifact. Um, I you know as somebody who just built a a, a splicer deck um, mm-hmm. in civic colors, the, the problem with that is like there's a handful of good splicer things in in white as well and this is a, actually if i if i was somebody interested in playing a three color deck which i'm not this would make a really good commander for a splicer deck since it does do things with golems yeah and when those splicers die they, you can bring them back as a as a token copy that's still going to make you more golems because you know they're they're pretty terrible anyway so who cares if they're also a one one food golem <laughs> yeah um, so like that, that, that was kind of funny. Like, oh, I, I built that Splicer deck, and here's kind of a perfect commander if I wanted all three colors for it. But um, at, other than that, no, I I, I, I saw that we got a, a Corvald that was a little bit more down to earth than the last one, um, <laughs> which is nice to see. But yeah, no, that was that was really it among those. How about yourself? Um, nothing from the pre-constructed decks. I mean, uh, down to earth for a Cor- Corvald, it. It's asking a lot, but yeah. I mean, it, it <laughs> yeah. still does a whole lot of really powerful things, though. So it's five this time. So five generic mana and Jund colors. So a red, a green, and a black. For a 4-4 four, four Dragon Noble, um, this spell costs one less to cast for each card type among permanents you've sacrificed this turn. So the, the reduction is quite a bit harder to pull off. You need a, a good amount of varied permanents on the battlefield, plus sacrificing them. Uh, but Corvold does come out, has Flying Trample and Haste, and whenever Corvold deals combat damage to a player, you put X plus one plus one counters on Corvold and draw X cards, where X is the number of permanent types among cards in your graveyard. So it still has a whole lot of possibility to draw you a ton of cards and get very, very big very quickly. But at least getting Corvold on the battlefield has some hoops to jump through because eight mana, yes, eight mana in Jun colors. Sure, there's there's obviously ways to make a bunch of mana. You have green, but then the cost reduction, that's going to be kind of hard actually to pull off because yes, you have treasures, but what are you really sacrificing often to kind of crank out your commander? And that's that's a really good question. Players going to have to ask. Yeah, it's going to require a lot more work in terms of of brewing and. Um, the strategies you have to, well, you have to think about before you play than the previous Corvald did that, that kind of 
you know, very easily went infinite with just any cards you shuffle into the deck. This feels like you, again, you have to, it's, it, I used the word intentional before, but th that applies here as well. It's, it's a deck, it's a commander that you have to very much think about what you put into it to get the maximum efficiency out of it. And I, I always like seeing that versus something that just works with almost anything. Yeah, I mean, don't tell Joey, but the most played card in Corvold deck so far is Baba La Saga, which is one of his favorite <laughs> commanders that he's been playing lately. But when you look at what Baba La Saga does, you sacrifice yeah. up to three permanents, and then you draw a bunch of cards based on how many card types there were among those permanents. So that makes so much sense in a in this specific Corvold deck because, yeah, you need to be able to sacrifice a bunch of different types of permanents because it's just yeah, it's the best mana dork for the deck. So should we look at cards that would go in your 99 or in, in your actual like base of your deck in 99 now? I mean, I suppose so, because this set, even though it's it's fairy tales and lighthearted, there's some pretty scary and powerful cards in in this in the set. And it's it's getting me excited for a few cards specifically. But what has jumped out to you first, Dana? So so the first one that I was excited, most excited for right away was Stroke of Midnight. Uh, um, I knew that was it's, coming. It's the second most played card in the set. You know, obviously we're 10 days into numbers so you know take them with a grain of salt but but of all the cards in the set it's it's going in decks just slightly less than a card i'm gonna guess we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes um, <laughs> Cavalry. um so I, I immediately was like i'm, I'm probably gonna want to run that in almost all of my white decks um but I, I started looking at making a few cuts today actually and while I like Stroke of Midnight, you know, two in a white for a destroyed target non-land permanent and its controller makes a 1-1 one, one white human creature token. So Generous Gift makes them a 3-3. Three, three. This case, this makes them a 1-1, one, one, but it can't hit lands where Generous, generous Gift can hit lands. Um, so, you know, six and one, half thousand of the other. Um, I think Generous Gift's probably slightly better, but like it's really close. Um, but when I went to look at making some cuts today, I was looking at a few different white decks and I'm like, well... Okay, I've got Source of Plowshares and Path to Exile, and I've got Generous Gift in this deck, and I might have, you know, Heliod's Intervention, and I might have Council's Judgment, and like, sometimes for various reasons, I've got a, a Dark Sun Mutation. I was having a really tough time finding room for like, this one more instant speed removal in a, in a situation where I've already probably have five or six of those, plus a couple Sorcery Speed spells. Um, I, I, it was, I, I was kind of shocked because I was sure this was going to be a card I was going to jam everywhere. And I found out when I was looking at a lot of my decks, I kind of felt like I had enough of those re removal spells and I didn't know if I wanted one more. That's, that's totally fair. So my question to you, cause this is a question I'm kind of working through with evaluating this card for myself. How important is the non-land permanent versus being able to hit lands is that a huge difference in, in your mind, or is it kind of negligible? It's pretty neg I mean, that's probably very meta-dependent. Like, sure, there's probably sure. some folks that never, that just don't see Cabal Coffers or Nykthos, let alone, you know, a, a Guy's Cradle or Sarah Sanctum or something. Um, and if you don't see those, like, half a dozen really, like, back-breaking lands, maybe you don't really necessarily even care that much about ruining people's lands. Um, I, I like the alternative. I have absolutely been saved by a Beast Within or Generous Gift before being able to hit someone's, you know, Glacial Chasm or something. Sure. Um, so it does make a difference. Um, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose to have the option to hit a land, um, even though it makes a slightly bigger token. Yeah. Um, for, for me, the problem just wound up being like I didn't feel like I wanted 
I just didn't want like a sixth one of those effects. And it felt like it's right on the edge of being like just one more of those things I needed, let alone once you start getting into, you know, green where there is a beast within or, or black where there's a ton of options in black. You're looking at anguish on making or despark or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I, I was, I was struggling to, to find room for it. And I thought that wouldn't be the case. I was sure I wanted one more of these and I, I discovered, I guess I really didn't. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the territory of, I'm I'm valuing only giving them a one one. Sure. So so to be completely honest, and and plus two, I'm playing Ghost Quarter. I'm playing Tectonic Edge. If I really need things that can hit lands, mm-hmm. I understand needing to prioritize flexibility. But for me, with so many of my decks, I, I'm turning things sideways, and so giving them a smaller creature, a three three, sometimes can still block effectively. Sure. Whereas a one one can't, and so. I'm almost in the camp of I don't mind losing a little bit of flexibility because I'm already running land destruction type of lands. And so giving them a smaller token in exchange for a little bit of loss of flexibility. It's, but it's kind of like the, the the great debate we had a few, well, not a few years ago, several years ago at this point. Uh, it was utter end versus anguish unmaking. Right. Yeah. Are you valuing that that three life for one less mana? But the, the or vindicate, but also the, this kind of puts the nail in vindicates coffin. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're not nobody's yeah. playing vindicate anymore. Like, but it's still getting printed at rare. With right, there's a there's a lot of arguments to be made, and I don't think anybody's ever really going to be wrong either with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I'm never going to tell this card is going to be fantastic in a bunch of decks. And and honestly, for me, I'm a big fan of Council's Judgment. Mm-hmm. And this is probably better more often than not than Council's Judgment because it's just because instant speed, you're always going to get the target where sometimes if you're ahead, people will play around. Like they won't they won't remove the thing you want removed with Council Judgment because you're leading. Um, I think this is probably a slightly better card, but I just love Council's Judgment. I just think it's a fun card. So yep. um, I, if I was being honest in evaluation, I would probably find room for this by bumping Council's Judgment, but... I mean, if you're playing, if you're playing with Armad Angelo, you can't really count on him voting the way you need it to be. So, right, right. Council's Judgment is a card that I I don't get to play very much more. I love the card. I played it a lot back when it was a little more popular, but it's it's definitely faded because, like you said, you can't really rely on your opponent sometimes to prioritize the same way that you're going to. So, yeah. taking that agency out, maybe sometimes, yeah, you miss the two for one, and instead you're just tr- straight up trading. But yeah, this card, it's powerful. I'm sure a ton of folks are going to be playing it. But yeah, it's you're, we're splitting hairs at this point, really. Well, so let's talk about another white card. How crazy is it that like the two most played cards so far from this set are both white cards? They didn't really get creative on the design for the card that no, we're going to talk about not. either. <laughs> they did not. You can see it right there in the casting cost, what they were going for. Um, Moonshaker Cavalry, five, a white, white, white. It's a, it's a spirit knight creature. It's a 6-6. Six, six. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain flying and get plus X, plus X at the end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. So it's... Love it. It's Love it. white's... Yeah, it's white's crater hoof. <laughs> yeah. Well, and anything that says for each for the number of creatures you control, I'm automatically giving you consideration because I, I just... So many of my white decks are going wide, but that's also a, a ton of white decks in the format anyway. So mm-hmm. I really like Moonshaker Cavalry. I know I'm not really making any like sweeping yeah. unexpected statement there, but it's it's just so super powerful. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as good as Crater Hoof. Evasion, I mean, we talked about just mechanics that are powerful and popular in Commander. Flying is probably one of the most powerful, especially when it comes to evasion keywords in the format. So mm-hmm. it's it's wildly powerful. It's no surprise at all that it's one of the most played cards 
so far from the set. Yeah, I mean, it's just a straight up win condition in white. But at least in, if your deck is making any amount of bodies, and there's a ton of white decks that are going to be doing that. Um, you know, I, I, there's 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 two ways for me to evaluate this. Like, if I'm just looking at it objectively based on how good this card is, it's fantastic and it's going to win people a ton of games. And honestly, white probably needed a couple more win conditions like this. So I get why it's going to be so popular. On the other hand, mm-hmm. like I, I have lost plenty of time to Crater Ruth Behemoth, and I can't remember any of those games really. Sure. Like it, it felt like an anticlimactic way to lose. Um, or that's even the right way to phrase it. It just felt like like something that you expect to happen, and then the expected thing happens, and it's just kind of is what it is. The same thing will happen here. Like I'm going to lose to this plenty of times, and I, I I will forget the game ten seconds later, and that's maybe not something I love. But who cares, right? Like, like you know, not everyone needs to like feel like every game was some real memorable magical experience too. And some people just like need ways to close out games. So, I, it, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Some, I, sometimes you need a safety valve. I yes. I like cards like yeah. this. Sometimes just board states get gummed up, especially when you look at the, the the power level. Sometimes that I think so many of us started at where. We're just playing cards that we have. We open some packs, yeah. we put them in decks. And so if if you're playing at that power level, like sometimes those games can drag out so long. And that's why I don't mind cards like this because because games got to end. Sure. Somebody yeah. opens a pack and, and okay, well, this is just going to end those games. It's going to clean everything out and we're going to be able to move on to the next game. So I, I still like this card, uh, these types of cards even where, like you said, it maybe not, uh, it wasn't exciting, but it, w- it was, it wasn't unexpected. I guess maybe is a, a different way to put that too, where, yeah. okay, like, yeah, it's a Moonshaker Cavalry. It's, of course, it's going to do powerful things. That's what it's meant to do. So, well, and, and like in a, in, a, in a similar vein, Beseech the Mirror, one in triple black for a sorcery. Mm-hmm. It has bargain. And I guess we haven't discussed bargain before. It's the mechanic. It says you may sacrifice an artifact and enchant or a token as you cast a spell um, and you can search your library for a card exile it face down and then shuffle and if the spell was bargain you can cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost if that spell's mana value is four or less um, so it's a tutor that may let you cast the thing for free if you didn't go get a big thing um again like it's one of those cards you know we've talked about how we've cut way down in the amount of tutors we run so so for us, like on a personal level, I would imagine neither you or I really care about this card at all. No, not really. Um, bargain, it's it's a different mechanic. I'm not really sure how to evaluate it because it seems like it's going to be fairly easy. Um, we'll talk about the mechanics here in a little bit. But sure. yes, the, the card itself, it's a tutor. It's kind of doing the thing. If it's a, a cheap enough effect, you get to cast it for free. For free yeah. Excuse me. Um yeah, so like maybe you, you still play four mana board wipes and you tutor yeah. that up and cast it for free. There's a few little things like that, you know, synergies that are built in. Um, I understand why it's one of the most popular cards in the set Absolutely. so far. Um, am I going to be playing it personally? Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good example of like us separating whether or not we like a card with us understanding that it's objectively yeah, yeah. really, really good. It, yeah, it is objectively very, yeah. very powerful. Yeah. So, and it almost objectively as powerful, I would say, as stealing the segue from Joey, even though Joey's not really here. Does that 
I think that... we can count. I think we can count it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So, so we're going to go into challenge stats real quick, uh, as Joey likes to say, because we'll, we'll still say Joey Spiel, even though he's not here. Sure. Sure. There's a ton of data on EDH Rec, and we don't always agree with it. So we're going to challenge some stats and point out where some of these things are that we don't agree with. But first, we're going to take a real quick break. So the first challenge here was sent to us by listener A Glowworks, um, and the card is Belt of Giant Growth. And um, the, the challenge is in Gargos Vicious Watcher deck specifically. And, and the reason, it's only in currently 48 of those decks, but, but a Glowworks says it should be in more. And the reason is because most Hydras have a base power and toughness of 0-0. Zero, zero. And the way Belt of Giant Growth works is it gives creatures a base power toughness of 10-10. Um, and the equip is is cheaper the higher power a creature has. So that, that winds up being tricky. If, if you have a 1-1, one, one, it's going to cost you nine mana to equip it, you don't want that. However, if you have a Hydra that has a base power and toughness zero zero and a bunch of counters on it, then you have this weird narrow window where you can equip that belt very cheaply, but because the creature's base power and toughness was already a zero zero or or, or a you know zero one 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 in some cases, they get a really big power and toughness boost um in addition to it being cheap to equip. So that is actually a, a really useful use for that card that I hadn't thought of. I remember when I first saw it thinking like, I don't really know where I want to give my creatures that boost in a deck where it's not going to cost me a gazillion mana to do so. Well, Hydras are the perfect place to do it. And, and I actually dug into the stats a little bit. Um, three of the top four most played Hydras in Gargos decks are either zero zeros or zero ones with a, for base power and toughness. Um, there's four more of those in the top 10 that are zero zeros. So seven of the 10 most popular Hydras and Gargos decks have basically, you know, zero zero or one one power and nine of the top 12. Yeah. So the next two out of the top 10 also are. So basically, aside from your commander, most of the Hydras you play in that deck are going to have low power and toughness. They're probably going to come into play with a bunch of counters on them, and then you can equip that belt for nothing, basically giving them a, a plus 10, plus 10 boost for very, very little mana. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's you've you've kind of found the perfect deck for it there. A glow works. I like Belt of Giant Growth and Gargos decks. So if you need a way to boost those Hydras and and want to slam through and smash them in the face, that's a good, good way to do it. Yeah, that's absolutely absolutely a solid pick. So my card that I'm challenging this week is one that I recently was blown out by, and by blown out by, I mean I couldn't do anything about it. And it was super, super frustrating to see how powerful it was. And it's another card that comes from March of the Machine Aftermath. I know that I've challenged several cards from this set already, but this card or this set, I should say, truly is like just so forgotten about because, and there's so many hyper powerful cards in there. So the card that I'm challenging this week because it ranched me too many times is Rebuild the City. So it is three inch junt colors. So a blacky, red, and a green for a source that says choose target land, create three tokens that are copies of it, except they're three, three creatures in addition to their t other types and they have vigilance and menace, uh, but they are still affected by summoning sickness. So this is a fantastic way to make blockers for yourself. But also, if you have, say, like a flipped growing rights of Itlamok that turns into basically Gaia's Cradle, you have so much mana. And there are several commanders out there that they're able to not just get 
very, very powerful lands like Cabal Coffers or anything like that, but they're able to do it reliably. And so all these commanders that are, are landfall dependent or just a land deck, Lord Wind Grace, Soul of Wind Grace, whatever Wind Grace you really want, but also Omnath Locus of All. There's a whole bunch of different, very, very powerful landfall type commanders that you can play this in. And it's just absolutely a house. So not only do you get three, three blockers, like when we just got done talking about three, three blockers, they're not nothing to shake your head at, yeah. but you also get to pick the most powerful land. It doesn't even have to be yours. There's a whole bunch of things that you can be doing with this card. I, I was so blown away with it. It's a 50 cent card and it truly looks, I haven't seen it until this. And all of a sudden it came up and it was just doing absolute work. If you need a powerful deck in a lands matter type of strategy, this card is just so much that you want to be doing all in one package. So definitely give Rebuild the City a try. Um, you're just going to make a bunch of mana, folks. I'm sorry. I, I have nothing else to say. It's just great. All right. So should we jump back into this some of the stuff from Eldraine here? Yeah, we may as well. So there are a couple new mechanics that we didn't want to talk about. So Dana, you had mentioned Bargain as a mechanic so far, but there are two other new ones that we wanted to talk about too. One is Rolls, which are kind of auras that go on to your creatures that give different abilities based on what role it is, but there's also celebration. And so I have a feeling I kind of know what you're going to say, but what are you thinking of these new mechanics? Are they catching your eye at all? Is it something worth really talking about? How are you feeling about these new mechanics? Um, celebration doesn't do much for me. Um, but I, I do think rolls is pretty interesting. It, it, it's a little – confusing is the right word. It's a lot to keep track of, I guess, would be what I would say because there's a handful of different rolls. And how it works is, you know, say a creature comes into play, it will have an ETB ability where it says you create a, let's say, a sorcerer role um, attached to a creature. And maybe it's a creature you control. Maybe it's not. It will say in the text. Um, and, and that's basically you're creating an enchantment or a token that goes on to that creature and depending on what the particular role is, it does a different thing. So the, the sorcerer role, for example, it gives a creature plus one, plus one, and it gives it whenever this creature attacks, scry one. Um, there's a handful of different roles that do different things. And the, the, like the wicked role, for example, um, the creature gets plus one, plus one. And when the aura is put in the graveyard or from the battlefield, each opponent loses a life. And there can only be one role on a creature at a time. So if if... if the creature dies, that, that role goes to the graveyard and, and triggers a thing. Or if you put another role on it, the previous role is destroyed. Um, so you probably are going to need some <laughs> infinite token type tokens to keep track of a lot of this. Yes. Because um, there is, yeah, I think, eight or so different roles between the commander decks and the actual main set. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a lot to keep track of. But, but they're also kind of interesting, I think. There's a lot of different things you can do with those whether it's, you know, sacrificing things um, to your own bargain or, um, you know, shutting other people's creatures down or like giving a little buff that sticks around for a while. I, th I do think it's kind of an interesting design space for sure. Yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of take on making something unique that's also fits the flavor of the set. And so mm -hmm. having kind of a, a little bit of a D&D &D influence, I would say it's, it's not quite party mechanic, but giving them like the the virtuous role or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, that one's obviously very, very powerful because the virtuous role, whenever you attach it to a creature, that creature gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. So if you're doing a lot of different roles or you're just going wide with enchantments, that gets really powerful really quick. Uh, All That Glitters is a very, very powerful card that folks know about, and you're basically putting that on other different creatures. Now, you lose a little bit of power because it doesn't count artifacts, but still, that's a very, very powerful effect. So I'm curious how played 
these cards get, other than maybe like a couple one-offs now and then, nothing really shouts you have to be playing this or it's going to be a, a big player in any given deck. But it is interesting. I do think that there's going to be a lot of, of folks trying this mechanic out. But I also don't think there's anything near as powerful as any of the cards that we've talked about before. And and Celebration, uh, I, I anticipate never seeing this mechanic just in Commander. It's it's not hard to trigger uh, when you think about all the treasures that you could be making, but the rolls definitely, I think, will pop up every now and then and, and hopefully in a cool and interesting way in some of those decks. Yeah, Celebration feels much more like a, a limited-style mechanic than it is one meant for eternal formats like Commander. Um, the one roll card I think that caught my eye the most was Asinine Antics, which is a fantastic name to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a sorcery for two and a blue, and you can cast it as though it had flash if you pay two more, so you can spend six to, to cast it as as an instant speed spell. Um, each creature your opponent controls, you create a cursed roll token attached to that creature. Um, so basically, each other creature is a 1-1. One, one. Um, that's not going to do any good if it's wearing equipment or it has plus one counters on it or has auras on it or whatever. But like in a lot of cases, that's just going to permanently turn creatures into one ones. And it's not just that turn that sticks around until they deal with removing the roll somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of that. That's, it's not really a board wipe, but it's not, not a board wipe, I guess too, in blue. Um, and it, the fact that it sticks around for for the game moving forward until someone deals with it, I think is is quite interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, so of all the roll cards, I'm, I'm gonna get, that's the one that caught my eye the most, and I, I'm gonna guess we'll probably I'll probably see the most often as well. Yeah, I like this a lot in kind of the same way that sudden spoiling kind of really messes with the timing of a lot of things yeah. that are happening. Yep. You, you play that and all of a sudden blockers are messed up or the combat step is messed up. Right, yeah. Uh, this costs a little bit more if you're trying to do it as a combat trick, but it's still, the power is there. I mean, reducing everything to a 1-1, one, one, mm-hmm. that's that's super, super powerful. They still keep their abilities. That is a big thing to keep in mind, though. I think a lot of folks might see that and say, oh, they're just 1-1s. One, right. They yes. still keep their abilities. So that is a very, very important to, to keep in mind. It's not a humility, but... It's not far off either. Um, we also got uh, Adventure has returned, um, but there's a bit of a twist this time. Um, you know, in, in the past, there's always been the Adventure portion. Um, you cast a spell, and then the, the, then the creature goes on Adventure, and you can eventually cast it from Exile back into play. But it was always a creature, right? we, like we just said. Um, that's not limited to creatures this time around. There are enchantments, for example, that can come back from an Adventure. Um, so that's a, a, they've expanded that design space a little bit, and I think I I find that intriguing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I always felt a little bit like it was just another variation on flashback or something. For the most part, adventure was with a cooler card frame. Um, the, the fact that it can come back as a different thing, I guess, uh, makes it it feels a little bit more separate than it did before to me, where it just felt like they were they were trying to make an existing mechanic feel a little bit different and, and it, it never felt that different to me, I guess. I don't know why that is, but being able to cast other things beyond creatures from it, I feel like separates a little bit more. And I, I am glad to see adventure back this time for sure. Yeah, I do like adventure. There's some real powerful, <laughs> real powerful spells and creatures too. Yeah. With, with adventure on there. Uh, Mosswood Dread Knight. I, I know we're, this is, this is a commander podcast, but that thing is going to wreck in standard. Yeah. I, I, I've seen so many people very, very excited for it. And it's just going to be difficult to get rid of. But all of those, the, the human knights that you're going to see in all those different colors, those are all super, super powerful. So I, I think those will all maybe find their way a little bit into 
into uh, Commander a little bit, but I think more for Standard. But yeah, seeing Adventure come back, remember folks, so the, the, the Rules Committee did say that casting your commander that has a venture from the command zone, that's still going to count towards the command tax. Yes. So keep that in mind. It's not just casting it as a creature. So if you cast it for the adventure, yep. that counts as one time casting your commander. It's going to be very, very important. And you'll want to make sure you're not losing track of that. Um, we also got a cycle of creature lands. Um, are, are you someone, do you play creature lands at all in commander? I, I know they have seen play in eternal formats in the past competitively. Do you like them in Commander? I like them in theory, but I also just, I never have too much of a chance to play them because <laughs> sure. the, the mana investment more often than not kind of keeps them out. I, I would rather be spending my money, to, or not spending my money, spending my money better, yes, but spending my mana a little more proactively than maybe holding up four mana, for example, with Restless Cottage, which is the Golgari colored one. I'd rather not keep up for effectively five mana when you think about it, because Restless Cottage also has to be untapped. Yeah. So effectively five mana to have a 4-4 four, four blocker, for example. Uh, when it does attack, you create a food and exile up to one target card from a graveyard. So there are a little bit different abilities that I think might play their way into Commander, but I don't love having to reinvest and reinvest and reinvest all the mana into animating a land to make it a creature or an emergency block or anything like that. I used to play them a lot. I haven't really in a couple years. So I, I, I'd be curious if people play that because if you need mana fixing on your, your, your lands, there are so many better dual lands that you can be playing. We've gotten just mm -hmm. a deluge of just quality land cycles. So you're not playing this to fix your colors. You're playing this for some other reason. And I don't know if the, the mana investment is going to be worth it for a majority of these creature lands. I, I tend to agree. Um, you know, so you mentioned Restless Cottage. So, so let's read that briefly because that's prop maybe the yeah. best of the bunch or one of the best of the bunch. Probably. Um, comes into play tapped. It taps for Golgari. So it is a, a dual land. Um, you can spend two and Golgari. So four mana. And like you said, five technically because it's using itself. Um, it becomes a 4-4 four, four black and green horror until end of turn. And whenever it attacks, create a food token and exile up to one target card from a graveyard. That's a ton of stuff. It, so it's a 4-4, four, four, which is a, not a, an insignificant body that you're swinging with. You're going to make a food token that you can use to sacrifice to something or to gain a little bit of life or, or you know, one of the dozen different ways you can kind of abuse that mechanic. And you're going to remove something scary from someone's graveyard. That's a lot of things. But I always feel like with creature lands, when I'm when I'm have one in play and I'm looking at my hand, it's never what I want to be using my mana on that turn. Yeah. And even something as good as Restless Cottage with as many abilities on it as are there, I still think I'm gonna look at that and be like, I have better things to do this turn than make a food token and remove one card from a graveyard and swing with a four four. That might that might die and cost me then a land. Yeah. Um so like even the ones like this one that have a ton of things on the card, myself, I, I just I feel like it's never what I want to be doing in the game unless you have some real specific bit of synergy. I, so I think the only one that I probably would be considering is Restless Bivouac, which is the red and white one, just because it's only three mana. So you're in Boros colors, mm. three mana, like I said, effectively four because Bivouac has to be untapped and attack to get its ability. But when it attacks, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So you're at least getting some sort of permanence to the the benefit. Uh, it only becomes a 2-2, two, two, though. So I, it's not great. None of them really are. The, the, your lands are just... People cut lands for spells 
all the stinking time anyways. And I would <laughs> yeah. wager most people yeah. aren't playing enough lands anyways. So there's so much competition in your land slots to begin with. I, I know that Dana, you love utility lands. And if you're even lukewarm on these, I'm I'm not sure if these really cut it when it comes to how much you're going to be playing them in Commander. Yeah, like I said, I think you just have to have some real specific synergy that none of these really give me necessarily. Um, and like, I, for example, I, I have an equipment deck um, and, and Arden is in the command zone who can equip stuff for free. Well, creature lands are great in that deck because if somebody board wipes and I've got sure. you yeah, know, yeah. A, a Blink Moth a blink moth sitting there, I can make it into 1-1 one, one and cast Arden and just equip everything onto that 1-1 that one, one creature for free and swing at somebody. So like that, in that situation, I, I find them very, very useful. In a general sense, I, I just almost never want to use them. So yeah, it's... It's it's interesting that they keep going back to this well, and I, I'm I'm curious. I feel like I don't see them very often in Commander either. Yeah, I I don't remember the last time that I saw any of the two color creature lands being played a whole lot. Yeah, uh, they just they just don't stack up. the The value that they get in sixty card formats is absolutely there, but yeah, I don't know if it translates all that well into Commander. So I will be curious if folks pick up on these a whole lot. But like I said, if you're doing it for your mana fixing, I just I don't think that this really has enough value there, especially when you have so many better options that don't come into play tapped all the time. Hey there, Joey from the editing booth here. I know that I wasn't present for this recording, but I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't let this episode end without jumping in to mention a few other cards that I thought were really, really cool. They might not have been as exciting to Matt and to Dana, but they were definitely really exciting to me. So I know they already talked about Rowan, who I really like, but Ariette of the Charmed Apple also looks like total gas. And Ariette and Rowan are really jockeying for the most popular legend spot from this set so far. But Ariette, enchant your opponent's stuff so that they can't attack you and then drain life every turn for each aura you control? That's cool! This is such a great take on Enchantress. It'll flourish with stuff like Killian in the deck. It's a great spot to use like minions return effects to steal any creatures that die. And Matt, I know you like Grim Guardian. This seems like a great deck to make use of that card to drain even more life with even more constellation triggers. As for cards in the 99, the reason I had to jump in here is because I feel a necromantic compulsion to spread the word about Lich Knight's Conquest. Five mana black sorcery, sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens, and revive that many creature cards from your graveyard. I've already ordered one of these cards from my Will Health deck. This card is so exciting to me. Late game, turn a bunch of mana rocks you don't need anymore into a huge zombie revival. Like food and treasure decks can channel all of those excess trinkets into a huge late game swing with this thing and if you're playing an all enchantment or artifact deck you can even sacrifice like enchantment creatures or artifact creatures and immediately return those very same creatures to the field to get more i don't know constellation effects or really awesome enter the battlefield triggers this reanimation spell won't go everywhere but the places that it will go are impressive as heck and I also, lastly, just want to shout out Gruff Triplets because I think it's one of my favorite designs in a long time. Green, six mana, trampling 3-3 three, three that makes two copies of itself when it enters, and whenever any of the triplets die, the others get bigger equal to the dead one's power. So if one dies, the others become six sixes with trample, and if another one dies, then you're left with a 12-12 with trample. This is a really cool blink target to make even more of them. It's a great thing to sacrifice and bring back from the dead multiple times over and just make a huge army of huge triplets. This card's just 
just really fun. I like this design a lot. This new Eldraine set looks really fun to me. I only wish that we had gotten a new version of Sir Conrad the Grim. <laughs> I don't even know if that character is actually still alive in the lore, but I mean, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, Zombie Conrad would be a really cool thing to see in the future. Just saying. That'd be kind of neat. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's it from me. Back to the guys. So, so one last thing I want to touch on, and I think last week's show, I, I talked about it a little bit um, with regards to that, that blue-black fairy deck. Um, in the past, I've had decks uh, of my own, and then Watsi has released a pre-con that it was in, you know, similar colors with a similar theme. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to wind up using like three or four of those cards or something, right? Um, you know, I, I had a, once upon a time, I had a green red landfall deck and they release a, a deck that does landfall stuff. I'm like, oh, the, there's a handful of cards there that are quite good in my landfall deck, so I'll move them over. Um, I, I had a blue-black fairy deck that, that I use kind of casually. Um, it was one I oftentimes let friends use that didn't have a deck. Um, it wasn't necessarily a budget deck, though. Like, I, I had some pretty decent cards in there. And despite that, f- 15 cards out of that deck, <laughs> if I'm if I'm really going to upgrade it, I could put 15 cards out of Eldraine, Wilds of Eldraine, into that deck. There are so many juiced fairies in yeah. both the base set and that precon. Yeah. I've never seen, a, I had a deck of mine where I'm like, oh, I'm replacing almost a fifth of this deck with creatures and a couple of spells that work so well with with that particular theme that's nothing i've ever seen like that before like that deck is so good with so many good cards for that kind of um that that particular type it's mind-blowing yeah well remember how i said last week that commander almost has become a rotating format at this point not al- yeah. not officially but it really does and and you just narrated it kind of perfectly dana you have a deck that has the same colors, same strategy, same creature type in this exact instance. Well, they just released a new deck that kind of replaces so many of the cards you were playing. <laughs> yeah, like and, it's, and it's yeah. all, it, yeah. I hate to assign intent because you really shouldn't be doing that, but almost it feels intentional because they're, they give you all of these wildly powerful fairies that are just pushing out these ones that they're doing almost the same thing, just a little bit better, or you're getting some more upside or whatever it is. And it's just, it's so hard to keep up. And I, I noticed recently when I was playing against the sliver precon that again, they find some, some creature type that hasn't really gotten love lately and they give it some some new toys. They gave slivers the last time with the Commander Masters, and now they're giving fairies. Now they're in Wilds Veldrain, and holy cow! Like these these are just all so great and powerful. You don't even need yeah. to really be playing all of them in a fairy specific deck. Yeah, it, it's it's nuts. Um, and then it brings up one more than thought, and this might feed back into Stroke of Midnight as well. You know, we've talked in the past about some of the power creep that's happened, and like clearly we're looking at a situation here where almost every fairy release in the set is better than the fairies that were in the existing fairy deck, or at least <laughs> better than 15 of them yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, they were. So we're, we're seeing that, but we're also seeing a situation like where Stroke of Midnight that five years ago would have been an auto-include, I feel like, and and I'm struggling to find room for it. I wonder if there's this point we hit where the power creep occurs so much that 
you're just replacing great cards with great cards. Because mm-hmm. um, that wasn't always the case. Like, I remember years ago, and I, I made a, a, like a joking tweet about it today, but, like, I remember, you know, 2014, 2015, when a set would come out, the cards I was replacing were bad in a lot of cases, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. if I'm running my Death Touch deck or, or I'm running my Sphinx deck, there's a bunch of bad Sphinxes, or there's a bunch of bad creatures with Death Touch. And I replaced those when they would print this one new thing that was significantly better, and I would replace them with a better thing. At this point, though, I, I wonder if Power Creep hasn't hit this point where you're replacing a thing instead of this thing that was that's massively better. You're like, oh, it's a side grade, or maybe it's slightly better, um, or or you're not replacing it at all because you're like, oh, Stroke of Midnight, maybe I don't necessarily even need that. I wonder if there's some weird equilibrium we're not going to hit at some point where they're still printing these bombs, but you're also like, I've already got a deck full of bombs. I don't, I don't, I don't need these three or four unless I want to put them in my deck. Well, I think that's when we're going to get to the point where why don't you just have two fairy decks, Dana? Maybe right. Maybe I guess. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But no, I, I, I do wonder though if like that if that isn't kind of a weird way the format self balances a little bit where you're just not people aren't running bad cards anymore because there's just so many good ones for the thing they're doing that like it it kind of reaches equilibrium for everyone yeah and it's it's hard to say because man it's we're getting deep in the weeds with this question too yeah Uh, i i hope that we hit some sort of balance but also like i said last week I it's it's I wouldn't have been able to imagine where we are in the game in 2023 if you would have told me about some of these cards 10 years ago or 5 mm-hmm. years ago even. And so now that the fact yeah, that we're, sure. we are here, it's so hard for me to just be able to predict where card design is going to be because I never in a million years would have imagined some of these car, these card designs that were coming out with like Orcish Bowmasters would have right, just yeah, absolutely yeah. made Richard Garfield have an aneurysm. It's so powerful. And so a lot of these cards, I, they it stinks that, yeah, they are probably pushing out some pet cards, but you still can play the cards that you want to play. But also, I, I just wish you weren't being punished for sure, playing the yeah. cards you want to play instead of the cards that are right. Because there are some very cool and, and exciting cards that I'm going to be putting into my decks from, from this set. And you're right, but that also kind of comes with the territory of playing a singleton format where you're always going to have these hard cuts. You're always going to have these cards that you're attached yeah. to because that's just the, the deck building expression that players get. That's a huge, huge chunk of why folks play Commander as opposed to 60-card yeah. formats. And so I think there's always going to be a little bit of, of a kind of... When, when you're trying to feed your kid and you're like, okay, eat your peas, and the kid's like, no, I don't want my peas. I want what I want. I think there's still going to be a little bit of that effect going on with commander players. They're still going to say, I know this card is technically right. Like technically expropriate is probably a right card in every blue deck, but people are still saying, "Eh, I really don't like what that does. I mean, there's a reason the salt list exists on EDH rec. Sure. And I think that might kind of hit hit a point where it's not because the cards are uh, ruining the game and ruining the, the, the experience within the game. It's, I'm just kind of sick of playing all these cards that I'm forced to be playing, and I'm just going to go back to playing the cards I want to play. So it, it, I hope that makes some sense, maybe. Yeah, like the, the way I was thinking of it, I was, I was just thinking like if everything a, becomes a staple or an auto-include, then 
then doesn't nothing become a staple or auto include, right? Yeah. Like, if, if everything's if special, nothing's special. Yeah. Right. So like if 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 we if we've got a gazillion different things that are like at stroke of midnight level power in white, or a gazillion different you know blue black fairies that are are are, are much more powerful than something you ran years ago, mm-hmm. well then you get that then you can still kind of sculpt your deck a little bit because you're not necessarily downgrading by making choices because there's just so many powerful choices. Um, now there's there's unforeseen problems with that too, maybe, but uh, it, <laughs> probably it'll, it'll be interesting to see where it goes for sure. Yeah, I do think that eventually we we might top out and plateau with the power curve, so we still get cool and interesting designs, mm-hmm. but everything is suddenly on on level footing. So I, I do think that might happen, but it's it's like I said, it is so stinking hard to be able to predict that. Yes. So I'm just gonna refrain. But like I said. I'm still going to play Giant Inheritance. That card seems absolutely rad. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of fun things that are going on here. Uh, we get Quartz again. The the We got a Quartz cycle in Commander Legends. Oh, yeah. Now we're seeing them again. The Monarch, we have more cards for that. So there's a lot of cool things that are going on in the Commander set specifically. Mm. And yeah, I, I hate that we kind of took a little bit of a maybe a critical turn. and But also... We like to be critical when it's appropriate, and this certainly does. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, Dana, it is an appropriate time to be critical. It's kind of a, are we really being forced to play certain cards because they're just too powerful not to? Yeah, and I'm hoping we do find some balance with that. But it's, like you said, yeah, I agree. If it's something worth criticizing, it's it's absolutely worth uh, talking about in that way, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm going to be critical of is my own ability to segue now that Joey's not here. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and wrap this show up here? Uh, we've we've done a lot of talking. I think there's a lot. Hopefully everybody at home realizes we really do like this set. We really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I was I didn't realize how much I was looking forward to this. Um, you know, we had that run of all the Phyrexian sets and it felt like you were building towards something. And then, you know, Lord of the Rings set being Lord of the Rings, that was kind of monumental. This felt like a kind of a fresh start a little bit. Like, oh, I, there's there's no pre, there's not a lot of previous baggage. I don't need to worry about the previous six Phyrexian sets or, mm-hmm. you know, Lord of the Rings is kind of this weird special thing. It, I, I liked that this felt self-contained and I and yes. kind of removed from everything else. And I'm a fan of, like I said, I'm a fan of Valdrain anyway as a plane. So um, yeah, this has been kind of a little bit invigorating to see all these cards that I'm looking forward to brewing with them for sure. Yeah, it was a good way to refresh the palette. Hopefully that's yeah. a, a, an appropriate way to, to sum up what yes, you said. But sure. yeah, I do I do agree that the, the scope of the set seems so much more manageable for me. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, why don't we go ahead and wrap it up then? Uh, We'll head out. So Dana, where can everybody find you on the social medias? You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EdiaTrack and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EdiaTrackCast. And I'm Matt Morgan. You can find me online on pretty much any social media platform at Mathemus55. And we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. So make sure you tune in for those as well. You can find Joey on social media at Joseph M. Schultz. And thank you to Chase for doing the post-production, uh, helping Joey with all the editing. So we definitely appreciate all of that as well. But everyone, that's it. So let us know in the comments, please, what you're excited about from this set. Wilds of Eldraine is... It's a spanning set, so please let us know in the comments what you think about the set as well. And don't forget, as Joey loves to say, make sure you EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.